All right, thank you, John. I want you to turn in your Bibles to, to uh, Colossians chapter 1. And as I uh, told you this morning, we have selected a phrase out of verse 10 uh, for our motto this year at our church, increasing in the knowledge of God. And I want to speak to you from these verses. I also said that this message would be what I generally call the state of the church address because I want to talk about that. And as a matter of fact, I want to encourage you a little about that because I'm excited about it. And uh, I'm encouraged in the Lord uh, of where we are right now. Let me first uh, mention, as uh, you're well aware, that we ought to talk about the state of our culture too, right? Not just the state of the church, but the state of the culture. You know, we, we've had terms like culture rot, or you remember the term defining deviancy down, uh, meaning that uh, what used to be considered right and good, moral and holy, uh, is now a lot lower than it used to be, but deviancy is a lot lower than it used to be in people's eyes as well. As a matter of fact, let me remind you of 2 Timothy chapter 3 again. This know also, in the last days perilous times shall come. And men shall be, listen, listen to these descriptions, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And he says to Timothy and to the Ephesian church, of such turn away. And so we know we're in that kind of culture. Culture in our generation has become inviolable. That's a word that means it doesn't change. You know, culture is what it is. Whereas for, for 1,900 years... The church has believed we go into a culture and we change it. We become what God wants us to be, and we try to affect people around us to be what God wants them to be. But these days, we kind of take culture as something that can't be changed. Uh, whatever the culture is, we have to adapt to it. We have to as a church. We have to as individuals. And so wherever the culture is, we say today, we must follow it, be culturally relevant but you know what? I replied to that a long time ago. Is Faith Baptist Church here in Smithville, Missouri, tonight on this fifth day of February 2017, culturally relevant? And I would say absolutely we are. If we were following that culture and doing what that culture is asking us to do, we would not be relevant in this world as God's people. We would be salt without its savor. But if we are what God wants us to be right now, then we are the most culturally relevant people that there are because God wants us to be salt and light in a tasteless world and in a dark world. And the minute we think that we have to become culturally relevant in the sense of becoming what the culture is and going where the culture goes, we will cease to be relevant as God's people in this world. And I think you know that. So here we are, Faith Baptist Church tonight, 
you know, we have 50, 60 people coming uh, on, on Sunday morning. We're in these rented facilities. We don't own this, but they're nice. We, we like them. Some people would, would call us old-fashioned, uh, and uh, maybe the word would be traditional in our uh, form of worship. Uh, hey, we're not traditional. We had canned music tonight, right? <laughs> we, you know, we we had to uh, we had to record our own uh, piano playing. But I, but as as your pastor, I, I am concerned. I am worried that you might be worried. I'm concerned that you might be concerned. I'm afraid that maybe right now you might be discouraged where we are in the life of our church and where we are in this world. I don't want you to be that way. I don't think God wants us to be that way. As a matter of fact, we are exactly what God wants us to be. And as long as we are that, we have nothing to worry about, nothing to fear, nothing to be ashamed of at all. Don't worry that we are not what people who love this world think that we should be. People who love this world want us to be like the world. We cannot be that and be relevant as God's people in this world. And so I'm not at all discouraged about that. Give me chapter and verse in the New Testament where God says, as a church, you must grow to a certain size if you're going to be successful. Can you give me a, can you give me a passage that tells that? Can you give me a chapter and verse that says you must build bigger facilities and always be building bigger facilities in order to be a, a proper church before God? Give me a verse that says we must be successful in the world's eyes to be what God wants us to be in this generation. Give me a verse that says, you know, you need to pick out a target audience, this part of culture, this part of society, this age group or whatever, and target them. Love your neighbor, the Bible says. We get those things so turned around. Remember that when Jesus described evangelism, he described three types of soil that w did not produce fruit, and only one of those four did. And those two soils in the middle, uh, th that rocky soil and the thorny soil, produced false believers and false converts, the kind that, that Paul described as leaven that leavens a whole lump. And so you don't grow your church on that kind of thing at all. We are what God wants us to be. And I like it, and I love it, as a matter of fact, and I hope you do too. Let me tell you, number one, we love the Lord. Do we not? I, I mean, I'm looking at familiar faces here tonight in an evening service, and the same this morning, and I can tell you, before God, I know you love the Lord. Can we love Him more than we love Him? You love His Word and His church. You have it there in your laps. I look across here, every, there's, a, there's a book in everybody's lap. You're here in this church, in this small church on a Sunday night, on Super Bowl Sunday night, because you love his word and you love the church. You love lost souls. I do not accept the proposition from our generation from this world that unless you go do the contemporary things that makes you grow to thousands, you don't love those souls out there. I say not at all. 
As a matter of fact, I think, if I know you people very well, that you are soul winners, that you are witnesses. I don't know anyone that I'm looking at in this room tonight who, given the chance in front of somebody, would not describe the gospel that you believe in and tell them that they need to have the same thing. I don't know anybody here that would not do that. We are evangelistic. We do love the gospel. That's how people get saved when we tell them things like that. And we love the brethren. That is, we love the children of God. Those who love God, we love. And I don't think there's any uh, doubt about that among us here tonight. And at the same time, in a negative sense, we do not love the world because God, God commanded us not to love the world. And you don't have to take that as a defeat. You take that as a, as a badge of honor before God. Now, uh, I've, I've lived a little while. I lived through the second half of the 20th century, and now we're 17 years into this century. And I have watched, even in my short lifetime then, I have watched movements, churches, schools, and whatever, go downhill uh, to the place where they're ineffective for God. And I, I listed to myself the other day that four change agents that happened in, in movements that I have known when they compromised and went down this road to where they were ineffective for God. The first change agent are contemporary leaders, leaders that come into the churches, churches that they didn't buy, that they didn't build, that they didn't found, and they take over and they are contemporary leaders that tell the church, we are no longer going this way, now we are going this way, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to change A, B, C, D, and so forth. Change agent number one. They're out front, they're the, the vocal ones, they're the ones that write, they're the ones that, that preach about it, and the rest. Second change agent are those contemporary, and if I say youth, I only say it because that's generally true, that they are waiting for this change, but they don't talk about it much. It's really where their heart is. They probably don't like their conservative church, but they're waiting until the change takes place, and then they will like it a lot better. Our churches are full of people like that because they haven't been taught right as youth or whatever. I don't know, but they're waiting for it. But they're change agents, and they will, they will be the cheerleaders as soon as the church decides to go that way. Third change agent in, in movements, churches, and so forth are indulgent parents, pastors, and elders who cannot say no to their children. Leaders of churches, leaders of movements, presidents of colleges, and so forth, who cannot say no to the younger ones who say, we're just waiting for everything to change. And because the elders cannot say no, then the youth just wait, and eventually they take over. And then the fourth change agent is indulgent churches, schools, and organizations who also can't say no and say, well, we sure don't want things to close. We sure don't want to get smaller. We sure don't want to be less successful. So here, you take it and you run it. And you know what I, I mean. And so having seen that for 50 years in my ministry, having seen that for a long time, I'm telling you, you don't have to do that. And God doesn't want us to do that. And God wants us to be what we are and what I think Faith Baptist Church is, and he wants us to remain this. After all, folks, you are, let me speak, I, I, I don't, I'm going to 
uh, compliment our young people here in a little bit, so I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be negative at all. But I will say to you older folks, you are the elders. You are the fathers who have known him from the beginning. Do you have to apologize for that? Do you have to apologize for being mature? Do you have to apologize for knowing more? Do you have to apologize for uh, you, that you finally come to a place in your life where you desire a holy walk with God? Apologize for it? Step out of the way? Get out of the way? Or as some great leader has said, you're the pillars of the church. You hold things up. <laughs> and he didn't mean <laughs> you hold up. He meant you're in the way. Get out of the way. You don't have to apologize for being who you are at all. You're the greatest Christians on earth. And I know that, and I'm glad to be in a church with you. So what is a, what is a church, a healthy church, a, a church that God loves look like? I think we see it in Colossians chapter 1. Let me begin in verse 4 and read up to our text, because Paul is writing, Paul's writing to a church he had never seen. He had never been to Colossae. He's writing this letter from, the, from his Roman uh, imprisonment, and uh, uh, it's uh, being sent to that church. And so he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, verse 4, and of the love which you have to all saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit for this cause. And I could begin my text in verse 9, but I'm going to start in verse 10. But verse 9 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and desire, notice the that's here, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I kind of preached about that, that wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world this morning. So I want to begin in verse 10. That, he says again, you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. And here's our motto verse, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience, long-suffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Anything there that the Colossian church needed to apologize for? <laughs> Paul loved it when he heard about that. Paul the prisoner. You know, Paul the guy who's in, in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. He loves this kind of church. And I think these verses describe Faith Baptist Church, and I think we ought to be encouraged by it. Notice uh, in my outline, I gave you just these three thoughts. Verse 10, a worthy walk. What, is, what does a healthy church look like? A worthy walk before God. Verse 10 says that you might walk worthy. And that word for walk is the word in Ephesians we have as circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. Parapateo. To walk around. Perimeter. Around. To walk around circumspectly. To know where you're walking. To, to define the edge. To put your feet in the right place. And so in this worthy walk, here are three things. Number one, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. 
the worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Being worthy, worthily, we might say, unto all pleasing. The word pleasing here, eretain, means to exactly that and sometimes it's translated virtue in the book of of uh, second peter add to your faith virtue the same word that you have here to be virtuous is to be pleasing to someone in other words uh, god wants you to know what pleases him and he wants you to do it to walk in all pleasing So, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Well, I've written that to you, he says. Read it in this book. We've read it in this book. We are doing what this book says. And guess what? That makes us pleasing before God. Helps us to have that kind of a worthy walk. And so if if somebody you love, you've fallen in love with, and you say, what can I do for you? What do you like to do? And they tell you, and you go do something else, what kind of expression of love is that? You love them if once they tell you what they like, you do it. That's the kind of gift you give them. That's the kind of thing that you do. God's told us what he loves. And then secondly, faithful in good works, where he says being fruitful in every good work. Fruitful, I should say, rather than, rather than faithful. Look, we are fruitful, folks. Look, look up above, I have on the same page, the last verses of Philippians. So in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 17, just above our text, Paul says to that good church, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. We have an account, folks. We have an account with God. And what counts on that account is fruit and fruitfulness. And so uh, we are to be abounding in this fruit. And look at chapter 1 of Colossians back up again in verse 5 and then 6 again. Verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you have heard before of the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it. Do you have the fruit of God in your life? I say yes, you do, and we do. What is fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, gentleness, meekness. Against such there is no law, Paul said, or the writer says. And then thirdly, a worthy walk involves increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing. We could say growing, but the word is a little different, but it's it's often translated to grow. It means to increase, to enlarge, Uh, As in chapter 2 of this book in verse 19, not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. We are increasing in the increase of God, the way God wants us to increase, we might say. That word is used as grow in Peter, 1 Peter 2, be as newborn babes. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Growing in the knowledge of God. Like a baby must have milk to grow, we must have the word of God to grow. Are we growing? I think so. In the second book, Peter says in chapter 3, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and ever. Amen. And so we've chosen that to be 
uh, something that we should be doing this year. So let me compliment these young people that are with us here in their Sunday school class. You know what they're doing? They're learning Greek and theology. <laughs> How boring. Greek and theology. I gave them a Greek test in Sunday school class, and they all did pretty well, except maybe one or two. But they all <laughs> Because that's what the Bible is written with, and we are going through the theological doctrines of the Word of God, and, and uh, it's, we're having a great time in there, loving it, because we're increasing in the knowledge of God. John said he must increase and I must decrease. In order for the ministry of God to increase, we decrease in our self-interest and become interested in the things that he's interested in. And so a worthy walk is first. Secondly, in verse 11, a strong inner man, I call it. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, or as Paul often says, in the inner man. As a matter of fact, my favorite expression of that is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, where he's talking to the women in the church, remember? And he says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel. And then he says to the ladies, but the hidden man of the heart... <laughs> the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And so you know that when the Bible says the inner man, he really refers to all of us. He's not referring just to the males uh, among us. He's referring to all people who know the Lord Jesus Christ. You have an inner person inside you. And that inner person uh, is energized by the Holy Spirit. He lives there. Jesus Christ lives within you, in your inner person, regardless of what's happening to you on the outside. Your inner person, your inner man, can be the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. And I look at this congregation tonight and I say, I believe that of you. I know that you have that. And you ought to be glad that you have that. It's one of the things of a healthy church that we see here. So we're strengthening the inner man. And notice uh, the expression again back in verse 11. I have to point it out. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. And you have the word dunamis or dynamite twice in that verse. Strengthened is from the word dynamite. And might. In other words, empowered by his power. <laughs> Literally, dunamao, the verb, by his dunamis, the, the noun. You are strengthened by the might of God. Not by your own might, not by the might of the world or the might of, of your generation. You're strengthened by the might of God. And notice then he says, unto all, first of all, patience, and then long-suffering. Patience, hupamene, the ability to remain under the burden, the very common word for patience. But then uh, long-suffering, macrothumia, taking the long look. Go with me quickly to your right to the book of James chapter 5, if you can turn there quickly. 
And you might remember this in our study of James, that in James chapter 5, he gets, he, in the first six verses, he talks actually to lost people, the only place in the book that he does. And then in verse 7, he turns back to the believers and he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And that's the word macrothumia. Here, the word patience comes from that. Take the long look. Are we a patient church in the sense that we are, are expecting the coming of the Lord? Verse 8. Be you also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Macrothumia. But then, in verse 11, he goes back to hupomene. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience or the endurance of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. Well, if Job can do it, we can do it. Job went through some times that weren't very nice. And yet in the end, God rewarded him more abundantly than he had before because he was patient. And so the sign of a healthy church that we have in our verse here is both patience bearing up under the load. So I, I listened tonight and thought about that as we, uh, we had to play our music uh, over the sound system because we didn't have a piano player tonight. And then, and then John had to lead us in one verse without a piano. And I thought to myself, we're patient. We're here to worship the Lord. God dwells in the, in the praises of his people. And that's what we're doing. We don't have to apologize for that. And we are long-suffering. We're looking and expecting the Lord to come. We're pre-tribulationalists. We're premillennialists. We expect the Lord to come at any moment. And if he came right now, we'd all rejoice. And we go to meet the Lord in the air. So we have that patience, that long-suffering, and joy. Joy in the things of God, the simple things of the faith. In my years of ministry, I've been in the large churches, the small churches. I've been involved in school work, camp work, whatever kind of work. But Honestly, for me to come and to, and to just talk with God's people in a church setting, I love it. I like the busyness and the buzziness of, of people's voices uh, at, before and after the church service. I like the simple singing of the hymns that sing of our praise to God. And even when it's just our voices, it's great. We are singing from our heart. I don't want a bunch of stuff drowning out my thoughts and my voice. I want to sing with my voice before the Lord and express my heart before Him. And I want to pray with people who are praying with me, who are listening. If I lead in prayer or someone else leads in prayer, we're listening to one another. And then open God's Word and look at it like we're doing now and, and look at it as this is God's message to me. You can have everything else in worship, folks. Give me those things. And I'm satisfied with it. And I think we should be satisfied with it. And I'm satisfied if that's 20 people, 200 people, or 2,000 people. I don't care. I just need to do those things. And I think every believer needs to do those things. And so, let me encourage you older saints. Again, you're grown up. That's right. You've grown up in the Lord. You're spiritual-minded more than young people, and more than you were when you were young. You've learned how to be mature. You're knowledgeable. You're strong. 
and you have a strong inner man. As a matter of fact, remember when, when Paul said, uh, said these words in 2 Corinthians uh, 4.16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man, again that inward person, is renewed day by day. And I watch and I have all of my ministry, older people get old and the outward man perish. And the bodies get broken and the bodies get old and they get stiff and you can't do the things that you used to do. But I know that inside there is a spirit that is expanding beyond the limits of that body. When they finally get to a certain place, God's going to say, well, then you don't have any more room there. You come on home. But while that is happening... That is why the Bible instructs the church to respect those elders and to look up to those people because they have learned how to do it. You remember that John says, I write unto you fathers because you have known him from the beginning. You have known him. You have nothing to be ashamed of about that. The greatest Christians in the world, you know him. And the children and the young men don't always, but you do. And so you set the example. And oh, even though it's tough because your body's failing, your spirit is expanding. And that's what we need in the worship of God. Let me go on to the last thing. A worthy walk first, a strong inner man next, a thankful heart last in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father. And I think we do, don't we? I hope you do. Which hath made us meet, an old way of expressing it. The New King James says, which hath qualified us. That's good. Qualified us. This expression made us meet. It made us capable, made us equal to the task. Qualified us. In 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, it's translated sufficient. It's made us sufficient. As a matter of fact, in that verse, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us Able, same word, ministers of the new covenant. We are able ministers. We are sufficient. He has made us meet. He has made us qualified, sufficient for these things. We've grown up all our lives in these. If you have Philippians right there next to you, the book to your left, remember this great verse in chapter 1 and verse 6? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing in you. So be thankful for that. He's made you qualified. He's been working on you all your life to get to this place. Be thankful for what God is doing. And I, I would say be thankful as he, he lists kind of four thoughts following that very quickly. He hath made us meet to be partakers we are partakers of the things of God. Do you realize what a blessing that is, that the rest of the world right now is doing whatever they're doing and you are partaking of the things of God? You know what an advantage that is in life? You know what a great blessing that is, that you're able to partake of these things? I don't, if you can follow me, I wrote the verses down. But in, in Ephesians 3, 6, he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. That's what happened to you. You're partakers of the promises because of the gospel. Philippians 1.7, 1 
which says, even it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. Or maybe literally, you're partakers of grace with me. You're partakers of that kind of grace. Timothy, uh, he says it there, and on and on we go. We're partakers of the things of God. So we have a thankful heart because we're partakers of the inheritance, literally of part of the lot. That's the way it is in the original. We're thankful because we're partakers of part of the lot. I like the word inheritance, really. We're going to inherit the Father's house. But, but uh, you know, Job said, I will stand in my lot at the end of the days. David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. There will be a place for me, for David the king, in God's house one day. We will stand in our lot at the end of the days after our resurrection. So we are, are made and qualified to be partakers of that lot, that place that's coming for us. Praise the Lord. We'll have a place in the kingdom of God. We'll have a place in the new Jerusalem. He's gone to prepare a mansion for you because you have a place there. An inheritance of the saints, which you know means holy ones, those who know Christ as Savior, in light, because that's where we're going. Do you know, Christian believer, that you're called a child of the light? You're not of the darkness. In, in Acts chapter 26, uh, Paul's recounting how uh, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and he said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, You brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. And this world would have you to believe something else. And sometimes we get too discouraged by the world criticizing Christianity and looking down their noses at churches that we think, oh, poor us. We just, you know, we're not much in this world. We are, we are the light of the world. We are the children of the light, Paul says. What a great thing that is. We ought to be thankful for it. And then in Ephesians uh, five, Paul says, you who were sometimes darkness, now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. And we should do that. So I'm reading these verses saying to myself, Faith Baptist Church ought to be a thankful church. We have a strong inner man inside us. We have a worthy walk before God. We have nothing to hang our heads about. And what we do in this room is exactly what we ought to be doing. And God is pleased with it. I read this little story to Ann the other day, and I, I'd read it before many times, about William Carey, who back in the 1700s uh, went to India as the, f the first missionary of what we call faith missions. I mean, he was supported by the money of, of other people. But Carey was a pastor before he went in England, and uh, he was a pastor of a little church in, in Moulton, 
where he had to be a cobbler and make shoes in order to support his family and to teach students. And I think I've told you, I've stood in that little room uh, where he made shoes and taught school and prepared his sermons, and I can reach out and touch both walls with both hands at the same time. And so he, he was called to come to the larger town of Leicester, a, a larger city it is even today. And so he went there to Harvey Lane Baptist Church in Leicester, and he got there, and all, it was a large church, a large church he wasn't uh, used to, 60 people in that church. But as he got to that large city with that large church of 60 people, he realized that it was a worldly church. How could they do anything for God if it, just in emphasizing their size of 60 people that uh, they would they become so worldly? And so you know what Kerry did? Unusual in his day. He disbanded the church, started it again, this time with a church covenant that said, if you're going to be in this church, you're going to live for the Lord. And half the people left. And then he had a church that could do something for God. And then Harvey Lane Baptist Church uh, went on to be a landmark. And as a matter of fact, sent their pastor, William Carey, to be the greatest missionary probably since the Apostle Paul. Came out of that kind of a setting. Did he go there and say, oh, you poor people, you just don't have much to offer. Such a small group. No, he said, let's be what God wants us to be and then watch and see what God will do with us. And that's what he did. So don't be discouraged. To be discouraged is a lack of faith. To be discouraged about what God has through his sovereignty for us at this time is to have a lack of faith. It, it, next year in 2018, for me, it will mark 50 years since I left home to go into the ministry at 18. I don't know where the time went, but 50 years ago. And I tell you this, folks, there's a price for serving God. There's a price that you pay. And that price sometimes is, is uh, uh, congratulations and honors and various things like that that mean nothing in this world. Someday we'll stand at the bema seat of Christ. And so pay the price. And I tell you this, I, I will go no other way in my life. I've walked this way for 50 years, and I won't walk any other way. I think that's why you're here. And I don't care if it's 20 people, 200 to 2,000, and praise God if he gives us whatever. But we have to be faithful to required in, a stu in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so Faith Baptist Church should rejoice because great is your reward in heaven as the Lord said. Be encouraged and be joyful in the Lord and give him thanks for everything that he's given us. Stand with me. We're going to sing a song that is kind of a simple short song. John, I don't know how you're going to do it, but however you lead it, it's fine with me. Let's go to him in prayer before he does this. Father, how we thank you for our church. Thank you for, Father, uh, all the things that you've done for us, for the up, the down, what we call the good and the bad where, uh, when we've been discouraged or encouraged. But, Father, remind us of all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remind us of who we are and why we're here and cause us to be faithful to you and not be discouraged and rejoice in all that we have. 
And when people come to our church, may we realize it's the best place for them to be, to come and to hear, to observe and to listen. So help us, Father, to be that kind of people and use us. And may your face smile upon us as we try to do your work in this world. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John.